How old are you? Seventeen. How long have you been 17? A while. Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more hype or if they should stay buried. We will be discussing movies that are known as quote-unquote bad or have low ratings and give them the kind of scrutiny they wouldn't usually get to try to find their merits. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sohini, and today we're talking about Twilight. Based on Stephanie Meyer's novel of the same name, Twilight tells the story of teenager Bella Swan, who moves to Forks and encounters a coven of mysterious vampires. The movie was directed by Catherine Hardwick, who has a bit of a diverse filmography under her belt. She's directed a range of movies from drama to thriller to romantic comedy. The screenplay was written by Melissa Rosenberg, who's actually been involved in a host of big-name TV shows and movies like The O.C., Dexter, Jessica Jones, and, maybe not so coincidentally, every single one of the Twilight Saga <laughs> movies. So, Twilight isn't the worst rated from the whole franchise, but we're discussing it because of the book's preceding reputation, which might lead some viewers to prematurely dismiss it. For example, we have a review here from a variety that reads... A disappointingly anemic tale of forbidden love that should satiate the pre-converted, but will bewilder and underwhelm viewers who haven't devoured Stephanie Meyer's best-selling Juvie Chicklet franchise. This is a pretty fair review, I think, in that people who already love the book will love this movie, but it's still up in the air for newcomers. I do think their categorization of the book is a little unfair. I don't love the term chiclet. There's some misogyny behind it for sure. Yeah, and it's a pretty often discussed title, chiclet. A lot of people have a lot of opinions on it. I personally don't love it, so I don't love seeing it in this review. But otherwise, I think it's accurate enough. You know, people who already love the story will love this movie. But otherwise, it's pretty anemic, I guess, is, <laughs> is the right word for it. It's funny that you should mention anemic, actually, because one of the reviews I found also uses that description. So this review from the newspaper Georgia Strait reads, Unless you're a 14-year-old girl who gets all giddy at the thought of cute boys and first love, steer clear of 13 director Catherine Hardwick's anemic adaptation. This has a pretty common theme with the review you found in that it's expected that teenage girls will be the only ones to love this movie, but it's not good enough for a general audience. But I guess that's why we're here today to see whether you need to have the background of the books or whether it can be a good enough production that can stand on its own. And it's pretty fortunate in that way that you actually haven't read the books and I have. So we will see, right? Yes, exactly. So my personal experience with this movie is that I had never read the books. I hadn't seen this movie properly before. I think I saw it once. I have no recollection of it. It was on someone's first generation iPod in the back <laughs> of a car where I was really bored. And I watched it barely being able to hear the audio. So this was a completely new experience for me. I would say the iPod thing is very authentic to the time this movie <laughs> came out. So good job on that. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe this movie was meant to be watched on an iPod. <laughs> That's the thing. People have been watching it on the big screen. That's why they don't like it. Exactly. <laughs> you should watch really tiny when you can hardly hear it. And that's when it gets good. How about you, Sayini? I have had the complete opposite experience with this franchise. I read all the books and I was very excited to see my favorite parts from the book adapted onto the big screen. I do have to say I see more flaws in it now than I did then. 
And the parts I liked then are not necessarily the parts I like now. So it's not that I don't like it anymore, but it's just shifted a little bit. Yeah. So we'll be discussing this movie mostly chronologically. So why don't you start us off? First of all, we begin with a deer in a forest, and it's being hunted by these mysterious blurry figures that we can't quite see, but we can see that they're running with incredible speed. It's a pretty interesting start, and I think it sets a tone for the movie. I agree with you there. In typical movies, you know, we have these very predictable openings where it's like the main character is waking up or like, oh, it's the first day of school. So this is a little bit of an unconventional start given the genre that we're looking at. Yeah, especially for the genre. It's always about waking up with the alarm or something. <laughs> exactly. And I also really like the way that this sequence was shot because there are these mixed shots between the deer's perspective and then we see an external perspective as the viewer. I feel like that really creates a sense of urgency. I quite like that opening scene. Is it anything from the book? No, this is not how the book starts. Yeah, I wonder if the book starts with like... A lonely deer. <laughs> a dark forest. Oh no, cried Ned. And the kingdom was his forever. The end. <sighs> Wonderful. Yeah. So after this whole deer sequence, we see Bella who is moving from Phoenix to Forks. And during this whole scene, Bella is introducing her situation basically over voiceover. And there's this part where she says, my dad's Charlie. And we can see him glancing at her out of the corner of his eye. I thought that was a really nice touch it where is. you can see he's nervous about having his daughter live with him after many years. The negative thing I have to say is there's far too much voiceover and everything she says on voiceover could have been established just by us watching this movie. In books, you have to write a certain amount of things down because there's no other way to convey it. Right. But the fact that Charlie doesn't hover or the fact that he doesn't talk a lot or whatever, we can see it all happening or even the fact that he's the chief of police. Bella doesn't have to say it, we see it. Mm -hmm. I just feel like they're dumping far too much information on us all at once. Yeah, I think that's also a product of this genre. Mm. A lot of adaptations, especially during this time, had that kind of voiceover thing where you get to hear from the main character's perspective similarly to how you would in the books. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Most times it doesn't. A lot of people have problems with voiceovers over explaining things or, you know, info dumping, like you said. Funnily enough, in this movie, I didn't completely hate it, but I'm not sure if it's because I kind of expected it. It made it all kind of, you know, this is Bella's perspective. That's actually a great point because the books are from Bella's perspective. We're very much in her mind throughout. So maybe this is an attempt to replicate that. But then as we go on in the movie, there are scenes that Bella is not even in. Yeah. So it completely sure. breaks that connection that we have. That is a great point. It's a common critique that if you commit to a voiceover when your story opens up, you got to commit to it for the rest of the movie. Then you can't show any other points of views. You can't show any other perspectives which this movie definitely does. Although, one of my favorite things is the awkwardness between this dad and his teenage daughter who have been pretty distant for years. It's pretty real, down to him only being able to say, like, purple's cool, right? It's, <laughs> it's this pretty surface level and possibly outdated or even, like, outright incorrect understanding of her as a person. Yeah, He's trying to connect with her, but he doesn't really have any substantial information on his kid, which is pretty sad. But what's even sadder is Bella's observation in the voiceover. One of the best things about Charlie, he doesn't hover. She doesn't know enough about him to know any other traits to like. The distance between them is somehow one of the best things about the relationship. 
And this kind of thing is also pretty true to life to teenagers. So all you really want from a parent is to be left alone, right? And the nature of their relationship allows for that. That's what I like. It's not really anyone's fault. It's not Charlie being like a neglectful father. It's not even Bella being a particularly rebellious child or whatever. It's literally built into their characters and their history that naturally means they're not as close and I just think it's pretty well done. And everything is exacerbated by Bella's attitude and age, like this time in her life, right? Mm-hmm. Where this is exactly what she wants from her dad, this independence. And if you're me, arguably, it's kind of the downfall of Bella's future. I mean, the narrative doesn't frame it that way, of course. We're supposed to see Bella, you know, ending up in the world of the Cullens as a good thing. But this is my take on it. In any other circumstance, it's a pretty regular thing for a dad and his teenage daughter to be not the closest But in this circumstance, it leads to some pretty severe consequences, I think. You make a great point, actually. It is this distance that sets them up for a lot of character development as well. I think one of the more positive sides of these movies is getting to see Bella and Charlie become closer. And I also found that as a teenager, I obviously I related more to the main characters. But as I grow older and rewatch these movies, I suddenly feel like I relate to the adult characters a lot more. Yeah, I sure. understand their perspective a lot more. And no wonder people who don't fall into the teenage demographic, no wonder they're not quite seeing it the same way. Because obviously we have a different outlook on life. But that's not a good enough reason to dismiss the film. Yeah, for sure. You can't really say objectively this movie's bad or whatever if you're unable to try to put yourself in the shoes of someone like Bella. Although, that might just mean the movie is unsuccessful at making this character sympathetic. You know, every character doesn't have to be likable, but a movie does have to show their perspective so that you understand where they're coming from. Maybe this movie wasn't successful with that. I mean, we'll see throughout our discussion. Yeah, I think that's definitely one important point to look out for. So Bella meets her dad's friend, Billy Black, and his son, Jacob Black. So this is the first appearance of Jacob Black, who will become quite an important figure in the upcoming movies. I think it's clear from the start how Jacob obviously has a crush on Bella. Maybe even this lane thing from when they were really young. The kind of puppy love that's more about your own memories than the person that's now in front of you. It's interesting to me how they don't really take that anywhere in this movie. I know that's because it builds in the later movies and all. But if you were to look at Twilight as a standalone, this thread kind of just hangs unutilized. Nothing really happens. Also, I think it's a huge miss to have Taylor Lautner play a Native American. It stands out a lot that Taylor Lautner is playing Jacob Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Native American legend, or Quileute legend in this case, plays a really big role in the story. So actually, this is surprising that one of the main characters who is supposed to be Native American might not actually have any close ties. Exactly. There's a lot of debate around the treatment of the Quileute tribe in this movie as well or like around this movie afterwards where the worst part is that they started getting attention and treated like a tourist attraction more than anything which is pretty upsetting yeah i remember reading about the way that the native american legends are used there's also criticism of stephanie meyer appropriating them for her own purposes which is you know less to do with the movie more to do with the original source material so i can't necessarily fault the movie for that but one big thing they did have a hand in was the casting so this is a pretty big misstep on the movie's part 
for sure. If anything, I think that's the one criticism for this movie that is pretty warranted. Everything else can be down to taste. It can mm-hmm. be more subjective. But this is objectively a negative. Yeah. I guess next thing is Bella's first day at school and she immediately draws the attention of the students there, including Mike. Um, I just realized I have nothing to say about him like, as a descriptor, <laughs> apart from the fact that he's blonde. So I can buy that Bella gets a lot of attention on her first day. I think Jessica is the one who likens her to a new shiny toy later on. But the very first instance we get of this is somebody calling out, nice ride, as Bella gets out of her truck. And I honestly cannot tell if it was sarcastic. But is that car supposed to be particularly nice? It's a rusty truck. It's just so funny that this guy is going out of his way to call out her car. <laughs> literally at the first sight of the stranger. Yeah, I suppose it sticks out a little compared to all the other shiny cars. So maybe it's sort of like, oh, you're a little bit different, not like the other girls, which is a predominant theme. It is. So we get the Collins' entrance. Their slow-mo dramatic entrance. Yeah, it's very dramatic. It's also a little cliche. Very. I do think I have a problem with Jessica and the movie seeing Edward along with the rest of the Collins as quote-unquote totally gorgeous, obviously. I just don't know that I agree. And I don't mean that as my opinion about the actors, simply the way they're styled. The paleness especially makes them more statuesque and almost dampens the charisma I would expect from what we are supposed to see the Collins as. They look almost waxy to me. Yeah, they look super waxy. This is where the anemic thing comes in. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. Although this could actually be an interesting thing in the sense that the characters in this world around the Cullens think these people are gorgeous and captivating because of the effect vampires have, like Edward lays out later. And we as an audience get to see that it's all a bit of a smokescreen and they actually look more strange and peculiar in an almost unpleasant (laughs) manner. And obviously, this isn't what the movie is trying to do, but I think it's an amazing take on this whole thing if they decide to do something like that. It would be so cool to see all these people like, you know, falling under this thrall and us as outsiders see them for what they actually are, these like half dead people. And I get these glimpses from the movie as if the director wants to do something with it you know something that injects a little more complexity to it but obviously there's the constraints of the source material which isn't a bad thing you know they were asked to adapt this book that would definitely add a level of nuance that on the whole i think the movie is lacking but i do think you're giving them a little bit too much credit yeah so now we get to edward and bella's first meeting Yes, the iconic scene where Bella walks into the biology class and Edward is immediately acting as if a garbage (laughs) truck is driving by. The whole thing is just comically over the top Mm -hmm. and it disappoints me so much because it totally takes me out of the scene. In the beginning, they set up such a serious and like mysterious tone and then it's just so (laughs) unintentionally funny. It just ruins everything it's built up. Yeah, the scene comes off as super over the top for me as well. I can't find myself liking it. Obviously, we're here to find the good parts of an otherwise like lesser movie or uh, straight up bad movie. And I tried so hard, but this scene just completely lost me. Obviously, we know why Edward's acting the way he is, but they could have made it more subtle. Literally take it down a few notches and it still would be pretty bland. He leaves at the end of the scene and honestly, I don't get why he doesn't just leave sooner. Just bolt mid-class if it's that bad. He obviously cares about his grades, Sarah. (laughs) Oh, fuck off. (laughs) This scene is more over the top than the parodies I've seen. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. 
So that evening, we see Bella having dinner with her dad at a local diner. I don't know why, but the food looks so good. It's always like at that one diner and it looks so homey and it's like fries with a burger and it looks so good. Yeah, I want to try the berry cobbler that Charlie has. Oh my god, yeah, That sounds really good. Yes, I want that as well. So at the end of the scene, we get a very short moment of silence between them and we kind of see how halting their relationship is and it's contrasted with this happy-go-lucky family in the background. And it's clear that Charlie and his relationship with Bella is what I find most captivating in this movie. So I really like these little glimpses. I really like your point about the contrast between Bella and her dad eating in silence and then the sounds of a happy family in the background. At the same time, this could have very easily given off a different impression in that Charlie's not really interested in building a bond with his daughter. I feel like the movie avoids this quite well because they're showing us that Charlie does care about Bella, but they're showing it in really subtle ways. Yeah. In that scene particularly, we see the waitress, I guess, or maybe the owner of the diner telling Bella that Charlie still has her favorite dessert every Thursday. And you can see Charlie focusing really intently on his food (laughs) while she's saying that. And it's obvious that he's a little bit embarrassed and doesn't really know how to express the fact that he loves his daughter. Yeah, the way Charlie's played is really well done. He imbues this character with so much hidden care for Bella. And I mean, we see a glimpse of what you mentioned earlier as well when Billy told Bella that Charlie's been talking nonstop about how she's finally coming. And I don't think that Bella missed that. I think she understands that. It's just that they're still trying to navigate this new kind of relationship. And neither of them are being particularly resistant to building an actual relationship now that they can, now that they're living together. They just don't know how. Yeah, they're still trying to figure out how. Yeah. After this, we get her call with her mom. Yes. Very immediate contrast. It makes me wonder what the saga would be like with a Bella who shares everything in her life with her parents and consults them regularly. I'm watching this movie and it feels like I'm watching a train wreck because I know how this ends, right? That I'm like, don't do it, Bella, run. <laughs> but I really enjoy how Bella's relationship with her mom and stepdad is portrayed as well. It's not put in a negative light, even as the mom has a life of her own. And she's not abandoning Bella or anything. I mean, that's debatable. But you rarely see a parent maintaining a fully realized part of themselves painted in a positive light. So I think the fact that Bella herself doesn't resent her mom or anything is quite refreshing. I really like that. Yeah, for sure. One thing I'd like about this scene is when her mom starts interrogating her and Bella closes up a little, we stop seeing shots of the mom. So it's like, oh yeah, she shuts her out. Yeah, really subtle way of showing that she's shutting out her mom. Yeah, that that is nice. So Bella's back at school. She's planning to confront Edward, but he stops coming to school. I do like that it seems as if Bella isn't exactly shy. It's just that she wants to keep to herself. I think that her actions show that she's not actually shy. Though it seems somewhere in the direction the actress is told to make her more of a shy character to, I guess, appeal to viewers and be more relatable, which is such a disservice to the character. I agree with you very strongly on that point. Yeah, she doesn't need to be that way. One of the main criticisms of Bella's character is that she doesn't really have much of a personality and I agree with that to some extent but at least in the books she does have a little bit more of a sassy (laughs) side to her that's maybe not completely the right word but if she's unhappy she'll say it and I feel like that little facet of her personality is missing from the way Kristen Stewart portrays Bella Mm -hmm. Bella would have been a perfectly fine character without making her incredibly awkward for no reason 
it's this need to make her the ultimate relatable girl, right? Except that that's not how you make a good movie. Yes. One of my biggest problems with this movie is that the characters in acting don't really grip me. They don't do a very good job of making me care about what happens. Except Charlie. But yeah. <laughs> I think Charlie has a lot of nuance in his acting, actually. That's the thing. It's clear that it's the actor doing a really great job of adding so many layers to Charlie. I can't help but be pulled in when he's on screen. And unfortunately, I don't think any of the other actors managed to pull that off. Yeah, the others kind of fall a bit flat in comparison. Exactly. Right after this montage of Bella waiting for Edward to come back to school, we cut to this remote building where a man is being chased and cornered by these mysterious, again, like the figures we saw in the opening scene, these mysterious humanoid figures. And I think we already mentioned earlier on the fact that even though we're supposed to be seeing things from Bella's perspective, the film sometimes cuts to these scenes that have nothing to do with Bella. And I understand what the film is trying to do. They're trying to build suspense and trying to introduce the villains, I guess. But we're supposed to be seeing things from Bella's perspective. And this break is very jarring. I think the glimpses we get of the bad guys is fine if we didn't start with a voiceover. I don't find it that jarring. I do like the idea of having this almost mundane storyline with Bella and her school and then this underlying mystery with the bad guys. For that to work, I feel like we would have to have a lot more of the mystery. I feel like we don't get enough for that contrast to work. Yeah, I agree. So Edward is back at school Finally. and Bella and Edward have their first conversation where he's not glaring at her. I mean, he's still a little bit. Glares a little, maybe. <laughs> I still don't love the scene. It is better, but this time around, it's not Edward that I have a problem with, it's Bella. Her reaction to what's happening seems so misplaced and unwarranted. Truly, the scene lost me. And it's like, what is Bella thinking? Why is she acting the way she is? I still don't understand. I suppose what Bella is trying to say is, you're asking me about these mundane things when just last week you looked like you wanted to kill me. Okay. <laughs> so maybe you want to start off by addressing the elephant in the room and then we can talk about the weather. So her reaction is about how weird it is that he's suddenly acting like everything is normal. Because to me, as someone who doesn't understand that, it just seems like Bella is acting so weird when she's just being asked normal things. Yeah, it was only until I was actively trying to analyze it that I was like, oh yeah, she's probably a little bit weirded out because their last interaction was so absurd. Yeah, I do like the way he laughs when Bella says she doesn't like any cold, wet thing. It was nice to see. It was the first glimpse we get of his personality. And unfortunately, we only keep getting glimpses throughout the movie instead of a full look at his character. You're right. Most of the time, we're just getting these deadpan characters <laughs> that don't really give us a lot to grab our interest. Now we have seen Bella and Edward's first encounter. Near the end of it, she notices that Edward's eyes look like they're a different color. And she asks him about it, but he can't really give her a good explanation. And he just walks away mid-sentence, which... Uh, <laughs> He's not great at the secret identity thing. He really isn't. I guess that's why they keep moving. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why, because Edward keeps <laughs> accidentally revealing that he's a vampire. And they're like, oops, never mind, gotta go. Yeah, maybe this is why he hasn't let anyone get close so far. And they keep to themselves. I guess they're just too vulnerable. Yeah, fair enough. But so we get to the crash scene. Ah, yes. So Bella almost gets hit by a van and Edward stops the van from hitting her with his hand. 
Bella ends up at the hospital after this near accident, and we see Carlisle for the first time. Yes, I love how he's portrayed. I think the actor does a pretty good job. He gets this look when Edward is mentioned, and it's just a blink and miss it moment, and it's just enough to work. Though again, I don't love how comically pale they are. He looks straight up dead. He, <laughs> he walks through the door, and I'm like, this is a corpse walking around. And I mean, it is. It is distracting. It's so distracting. So she goes out into the hall and she confronts Edward. And I actually really enjoyed the scene. I like that Bella is steadfast in her correct belief that Edward was nowhere near her when the crash happened. And she doesn't back down at all when Edward lies to her about what she saw. Like he keeps trying to convince her and she doesn't fall for it at all, not for, for even a second. And one of my favorite lines from him actually throughout this whole movie maybe was when he says, can't you just thank me and get over it? The way he says that, it's the most believable emotion we get from Edward so far. It feels real and emotionally driven, and I wish there was more of it. For a movie that has a lot of quiet moments, the strong suit should be the characters and these moments of exploring the depth and layers to the otherwise cardboard cutouts of types of people we've seen in this genre before. But it's so frustrating because we only ever get tiny peeks into all of that. And there's the potential there, right? This almost outburst from Edward is like, so you do feel something. There is something behind the mask. Yes, this is, I think, one of the few moments of intensity that we get from Edward because otherwise he's quite stoic throughout yeah. the whole thing. He doesn't really reveal his emotions. Mm -hmm. Even during the climax, he's just really calm and focused. Whereas here, I think he's struggling between wanting to get closer to Bella, but then also he knows that he's potentially put his family at risk. So I think this conflict is causing him to lose his composure a little bit. And it's really nice to see this other side of this otherwise very straight-faced character. Yeah, it's one of the only times I liked Edward. It was just finally something real from him, you know? Although we should acknowledge the fact that he's trying to basically gaslight her. I was gonna say, my notes read, not Edward gaslighting Bella. <laughs> yeah, it's problematic. So I think after this, is it the field trip? Yes, it's a biology field trip. It feels, feels like the only class they have in the school is biology. <laughs> Because that's the only teacher we see as well. Yeah, that's true. Or he teaches all the classes in the school. Yeah, and his only expertise is biology, so that's all he can teach. It's the Forks High School of Biology. <laughs> they only have biology in this movie because that's maybe the only class she shares with Edward. I thought of that too, but this is like, Bella only goes to school to go to biology class because Edward is there, but the rest of her life is meaningless <laughs> without him, so we don't see anything. Yeah. It would have been nice to see her with a genuine friend, see her bonding with someone. Anybody. But anyway, they go to a greenhouse. This is one of my favorite scenes. Well, Charlie's not in it, so maybe it's not my most favorite scene, <laughs> but it's one of my favorite scenes from the movie. Because I feel like it's one of the few moments Edward and Bella actually have a little bit of chemistry. Yeah, for sure. Basically, Edward tries to explain what happened the other day. And they have this kind of snappy back and forth, which is missing from the rest of their interactions. Yeah, I thought it was really funny the way Edward says hi when Bella calls him up for never even saying hello to her. I actually really like the filtry scene as well. It's one of the few times they seem to... Not even... They don't get along, I guess. But it is a nice scene to watch between the two of them. Whereas everything else was a little difficult to watch. It feels like the first time they've broken the ice a little bit. Yes. Because before they've been so awkward with each other. But this is the first time they're showing their real personalities. And yes. they're getting on each other's nerves. Which is what makes it a little bit... Interesting. Yeah. He also says, I'm sorry I'm being rude all the time. I just think that that's the best way. 
And it is so weird and kind of cringy to say to the person you're trying to hide from. And this keeps happening where he drops these hints and dangles just enough cryptic information. It comes off as very attention-seeking and juvenile, like he wants to keep Bella on the hook. He repeatedly tells Bella he's quote-unquote bad and not good for her. And nothing about his behavior suggests that he doesn't want her to keep digging. Even Bella, it, it seems, at one point is just over the chase because she knows Edward will never be real with her. Also, they leave the field trip, and at this point, they're acting like they were already friends, but they aren't really. <laughs> I, I would actually enjoy this a lot more if they do build a solid friendship and then fall in love and the vampire mystery and reveal comes up. But without the pre-established bond, I don't really see a reason for Bella to want to be with him and figure him out. They barely know each other, they've barely talked, and they act as if they are. I'm confused. They have had maybe one and a half interactions where they haven't been at each other's throats, <laughs> pun intended. Even fighting, like anything, they haven't really had anything substantial. I guess Edward's appeal so far is that he's unapproachable. He's the mysterious guy no one gets to get close to, and so Bella feels special, which is actually a pretty good depiction of how it feels to be a teenager trying to navigate your first crush or relationship. This can be such a great exploration of that time in your life and how the romance in your life is often very entangled with your own self-perception and how you view your own worth and self-esteem. What frustrates me is that it seems like the narrative, especially knowing how the saga develops, frames this relationship as the end-all be-all and is unequivocally a true love romance. I think it would have been a great exploration of what it really means to get into a relationship when you're in your teens if the saga hadn't gone the way we know it does. Yeah. It's, you know, framed as one true love or whatever. I mean, seriously, Sohini, imagine this movie where that is what it's about. It totally makes sense how awkward they are, how it doesn't seem to make sense. It's it's not really about the person you're attracted to. It's more about exploring yourself. And it, all of it is valid. It would have been an interesting thing to explore, but it's, it's just not it. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the supernatural element of it takes over a little bit. Because the whole thing is just tainted by the fact that Edward is a supernatural creature and that the reason that he's drawn to Bella is because he can't read her thoughts the way he can everyone else's. And so it kind of takes away that opportunity to explore a typical teenage relationship because this is anything but. You know, it's really funny that he's intrigued by her because he can't read her mind. It's almost like a really literal way of showing he really is not into her because of her. You know what I'm saying? Because obviously it's not because of who she is because he can't tell who she, who she is. It's the mystery. He's in love with the mystery. But because he's so curious... Uh, he tries to figure her out and stuff, yeah. It at least justifies his attempts to like get closer to her and satisfy his curiosity. And in the process, I can see it that he likes her because of what he finds out. But Bella, on the other hand, I don't see any reason why she starts liking Edward apart from the fact that he's supposed to be pretty. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think it's her looks i think it's the mystery yeah so after this we see bella's friends planning a trip to la push beach so at the beach bella meets jacob and he then tells her about the quillu tribe legend and about his ancestors in their legend the cullens are said to be their enemies descended from another clan known as the cold ones It sets off Bella's curiosity about the Cullens even more. And she does some A-class investigation by googling Quillute Legends. Oh my god. And instead of just reading her search results, she finds a book that she wants (laughs) and locates a bookshop. 
And then later on, she'll get that book, come back, read like one line, and then Google <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. So after Bella does her research, she goes to Port Angeles with her friends who want to go dress shopping for the prom. Yeah, I actually really like Bella's friends. Their only negative trait so far seems to be that they're girls who like traditionally feminine things. I really dislike how they made Bella into someone who's quote-unquote not like the other girls. It worsens her character, and I want to like Bella. I want to see her as a good friend, but unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case so far. Agreed. And I think the book already has the sentiment as well with the not like the other girls. But in the movie, I feel like they make the not like the other girls thing worse because Bella is just totally disinterested in what's going on and she would much rather just not be there. Yeah. Makes her come off as not a great friend either. Yeah, or a great person to be completely honest. I think what's missing here is giving Bella a meaningful friendship with somebody from her normal life. It makes her super isolated, which is, you know, always the downfall of people getting into bad relationships. Like, she's so isolated so that she's so dependent on Edward. And, you know, that story writes itself. So I just really wish she actually built a genuine friendship with one of these girls or both of them or somebody else. Yeah, and it would make her character a little bit more rounded as well. Mm -hmm. Because right now, her entire existence in Forks just revolves around Edward. Yeah, it all comes off as this infatuation bordering an obsession on Edward and his family. Yes, agreed. So we have Bella's friends dress shopping and Bella decides to leave and find her bookshop. Mm -hmm. So she goes off on her own and she meets a group of men who start following her and they corner her in a deserted street. But then... Edward's car comes zooming around the corner and he whisks her away to safety. <laughs> that scene was scary. Yeah, 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 genuinely. Though I do feel like Edward's sudden appearance and everything, it's one of the things people criticize about the story and that Bella is always in trouble, the damsel in distress, and Edward is like the knight in shining, armor. shining Volvo. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Volvo. I think at that point I was just relieved that he was there. <laughs> I think, you know, that's a problem when the only personality the female character has is to need help. Yeah, exactly. And Bella, she has her own strengths and she finds ways to help herself at times. So I feel like that rounds out her character a little bit more. I don't know that I agree or disagree with you. I just, what are her other strengths? Mm. <laughs> She can do very good research. Yeah, she's good at Googling. She's good at finding bookstores. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it doesn't have to just be strengths, you know? It's just that she has other facets to her character that isn't just being a damsel. What she does is what I'm saying. Yes. When Edward rescues her and he's driving, Bella makes a comment about the seatbelt and Edward laughs. <laughs> He laughs kind of strangely, and I actually really like it. It's something real and believable from him. Again, it's a burst of emotion that we don't usually get from him. And it even got to the point where I was like, maybe if they made him more unhinged, I would like him better. <laughs> That's quite the take. It's just that he's so boring so far. His entire personality is brooding vampire, and that's not a personality. It's a very one-dimensional trait that doesn't tell me anything about Edward as a person. And they rely on this stereotype so much. It's such a crutch that they didn't bother to make him a real person, a real character. Like, just because you're a vampire doesn't mean you lose all other sides of your... You do lose some sides of yourself, I'm sure, but not all of them. Like, you know, we get to see that in Rosalie and Dr. Cullen in Alice. They have personalities except for fucking Edward. 
That's a really great point, actually. So, sorry, that's just a small rant about Edward. No, it's it's a really great point. There is more under the surface. Yeah, we get peaks of it. I guess on the whole, he's just very restrained. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about how Bella doesn't really have a reason to like him or go after him. But another point is that we as the audience don't have a reason to want to get to know Edward as much as Bella does. We have no reason to want Bella to find out more about Edward. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we get to Bella's friends. He drives her back and he tells Bella's friends that she was with him while she was gone. And the way he says it, it's clear he's trying to imply they're romantically involved. And it's it's a pretty interesting scene to see Edward at least do something aside from bugging Bella about how he needs to stay away from her. We never get to, <laughs> we never get to see him do anything. So it was actually a really nice surprise to see him put on an act. He's all bashful to lead Bella's friends to a certain conclusion. It was I really liked that scene. I was just like, oh look, Edward's doing something. Like I just want him to do something. That's the first time he interacts with someone apart from Bella and his family, I think. Yeah. And I was really surprised. Edward was actually pretty good at faking that thing. Yeah, yeah. And this is supposed to be different from how he usually is. Because usually he's cold and distant and doesn't really talk to anyone. It was a pretty big contrast to his usual attitude. It was just so nice to see. I really enjoyed that scene. Yeah. So we have the restaurant scene now where Edward confesses to Bella that he can read minds or everyone's mind except hers. I do like that we finally get to see them bond during dinner. I wish this had happened earlier in the sequence of events, but at least we got one instance of them getting to know each other because we haven't had it so far. Yeah, it it would have made more sense to have these kind of scenes first and then you see them start to develop feelings for each other. Right? Because at this point, it already feels like their relationship has developed too far for it to be realistic because they hardly know each other. Yeah, they haven't shown us that it's like they're telling us instead of showing us right yeah so after the restaurant she does her own roundabout research where she connects the dots and then she confronts edward the next day yeah so we get to this famed scene and i had never seen it before one of the things bella says is that you speak like you're from a different time but does he though because he hasn't so far if anything he sounds so much like a teenager but otherwise i think the scene is pretty okay Yeah, I think it builds the tension quite well. Apart from, yeah, like you said, this thing with the dialogue, which never really comes through. And also the fact that Edward is standing really close to her. (laughs) I feel uncomfortable. I'm just like, back up a little. (laughs) I I didn't really notice that. But I suppose that's all a part of... The intensity. No, it's just weird. (laughs) No, okay. I do like the line, how long have you been 17? I really like that a lot. Yes. It helps to build up the tension because they're dancing around the subject without quite landing on it. I do like the cut to the super close shot of Edward. I don't know, I actually really liked it. I think he plays it pretty well. It's a pretty genuine emotion coming from the both of them. Even the way he like grabs her by her arm and it looks like she's being dragged away. I don't know, it works for me. I really like it. The camera work there is quite nice. I think the close-up shot especially contributes to that feeling of discomfort and confinement. Obviously, Edward doesn't want anyone knowing his secret, but now he's kind of been backed into a corner where he has no choice but to let the truth out. I I do think Catherine Hardwick's strong suit, at least in what I've noticed in Twilight, feels like she does better work with those fast-paced scenes. Mm. Like I mentioned with the deer in the opening, I think she builds up that sense of urgency really well. I wonder if it's supposed to be a callback to the prey-predator thing from the opening scene. How we get different perspectives, the perspective of the deer and the perspective of the assumed predator. 
Maybe that's what this is. I mean, obviously not a one-to-one comparison there, but something to that effect. That would explain setting this in the woods. They could have had this conversation in the car or whatever. So actually, yeah, maybe it is. Okay, so this is one of my favorite things, but I think it's so funny that the bedrock of this story is that vampires can't be in the sun for whatever reason. So they have to live in Forks, Washington. (laughs) (laughs) The conclusion that the creation of this story comes to is like, hmm, let's write a story about vampires. Well, it would be really funny if they have to live in Forks, Washington, because you know it's always rainy there. It's just funny, though, that these super powerful creatures cannot go out in the sun because they glitter. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't hate the glittering either. I mean, it looks fine. People always make fun of it in Rag on Twilight about the sparkly thing. And I thought like, oh, yeah, that must look ridiculous on screen. But when I saw it, I was just like, oh, looks kind of nice. <laughs> but yeah, he explains a little bit more about his vampirism that people are instinctively drawn in by vampires and I find it really interesting this idea of Bella's attraction and care coming from a supernatural source and is caused by the effect of Edward's vampirism I wish the story was about them struggling with figuring out if her feelings are genuine or born from the pseudo thrall then the story would be thematically exploring the question if you have free will in love If it's a thing that takes over and you truly have no control of it, or if it's a choice you make. And the nuances of this through the lens of this teenager's relationship with a seductive vampire. And I mean, vampires have always been used in stories as, you know, it's about seduction, it's about deception. And using vampires similarly in this story would have been a really nice tool to explore infatuation in a teenager's relationship. And I think it's such a big missed opportunity. I mean, obviously, that's not what the story is trying to be. But hearing Edward explain it, I'm like, how are they not even touching on the idea that Bella might not even be in love with Edward, that it might just be an effect of his vampirism? They almost touch on it because Edward's trying to convince her to not be with him, right? He's almost like, you're not actually into me. It's just this vampire thing. It's just that I'm so pretty. (laughs) But (laughs) they don't really explore it further. It would have been a really interesting and uncommon twist on this typical forbidden love kind of story if they had also explored the idea of agency behind it. For sure. So Edward ends up being on the branch of a tree and we get this shot that I really like of Bella from below him surging upwards and pushing Edward back. And he's the one who actually looks afraid in that shot. And the sudden shift in power and who's prey and predator is an interesting layer in that single shot. And again, I wish it was explored more in the movie. It could be incredibly fascinating. We get how the Cullens are vulnerable due to the need to protect their secret and how Bella has the upper hand in that sense. But I wish there was more of it. Yeah, exactly. But that one shot really does it so well. And again, it shows Bella being really brave about this whole thing. And she's not meek or shy or hesitant. She's really steadfast in her beliefs and she's confident in herself. And I love that part. I really like this idea that they're both vulnerable in different ways. Yeah. It's not like he's strong and she's weak. They both have their weaknesses. And I feel like that brings them more on equal ground. Mm -hmm. But then they kind of trod over this nuance in the next line. And so the lion fell in love with a lamb. They're pushing them back into that stereotypical cube where Bella is the weak one and Edward is the strong one. Right? It could have been incredibly fascinating to see this exchange of power between the two of them, how it's a non-traditional take on this predator and prey trope, but they didn't do a very good job of it. Yeah. Anyway, so I think after this, we get the couple's entrance. (laughs) 
when they get to school, right? Oh, yeah. With the shades. Yes, I cannot stand this fucking scene. Why the fuck is Edward <laughs> wearing fucking glasses? It's overcast. I will stick to my theory that he thought if he wears the glasses, his siblings won't recognize him. Because he knows he's in trouble with his siblings mm-hmm. because of his relationship with Bella. He's going incognito. Oh, sure. <laughs> Master of disguise, this Edward. <laughs> Okay, jokes aside, I actually enjoy Edward's personality shining through here. He's a little more fun and carefree, and it's infinitely more engaging to see on screen. I wish we saw more of the side of him beforehand so that there's a reason for Bella to like him. Yeah, it would be more convincing. I would be more convinced of their relationship if we knew anything about them and if they knew anything about each other. (laughs) Yeah. So the scene of them together is followed up by a montage of Bella and Edward talking. And Edward tells her more about being a vampire. He tells her about his family and his history. The only problem I have with this scene is that Bella comes across as quite insensitive because she's constantly asking these questions. She's like, is that why you don't hunt humans? It's because of Carlisle and Edward is like... No, I just don't want to be a monster, you know? (laughs) I feel like they're sacrificing her character in order for us to get this background information. I do like the flashback glimpse. I like how violent the bite is and how violent Edward turning was. Yeah, it doesn't shy away. Yeah, and it's like a full painful transformation. Obviously, we get to see the start of that later on with Bella. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like this really justifies Edward's refusal to turn Bella into a vampire. There are a range of reasons why Edward is opposed to this, but I feel like the fact that the transformation itself is so painful and we've seen him suffer through it, and the fact that he doesn't want her to go through the same thing at least speaks to his character. That's a great point. I didn't even think of that. But yeah, seeing how gruesome and violent and painful it all is, is a great reason for him to not want to turn Bella because he doesn't want her to go through that. And we can see that the feelings that stem from curiosity, they are really genuine by the end of this movie because he's not being selfish that he wants her to be with him forever. He's genuinely thinking of her. I can see that. So Bella finally goes to Edward's place. I enjoyed seeing Bella meeting the family. The odd dynamics during what would normally be a pretty ordinary and mundane thing is fun to watch. Even, or especially, how the awkwardness in a regular meet the family kind of encounter is still present here, obviously for very different reasons. But I like that. The fun part for me though is, like you said, you know, obviously the tension is there, but for a very different reason. But Bella treats it like it's for the ordinary reason because she's like, what if they don't like me? (laughs) And so it's like she's completely unaware that, hello, you're going into a house full of people who could kill you in a second. You know, now that you put it that way, it actually makes it more tone deaf because Bella doesn't understand that they are so afraid that she's going to expose them. She does not. And it's so short-sighted and like insensitive, I guess. I'm like, dude. (laughs) Exactly. She does not realize the implications that this could have for not only her, but also the Cullens. 
she's just blindly trusting Edward and just assuming everything is going to be fine. Yeah, even her whole like, I, I won't tell anyone. It's like, dude, we know right now it feels like you won't tell anyone, but who knows what's going to happen? It's just a little naive, I think. Mm -hmm. Although I do like, <laughs> I like the graduation caps. I think it's pretty cool artwork. Yes, it looks cool. Although I cringe at the thought of them having to go through high school so many times. Oh my god, yeah. Um, but we see Bella find Edward's room. The scene, I like Edward's expression when he's watching Bella look around his room because all of a sudden it's not like he's this vampire or anything. It's all of a sudden he just looks like he really wants her approval. It's a very human emotion and it's something you can understand and connect with as an audience, which is really nice. I think the dancing scene is kind of nice. It's a little awkward. <laughs> I don't think they're dancing particularly well or anything, but I thought they portrayed it pretty well, how it's just an awkward kind of thing. They're trying to do something and they're just trying to have a little moment. I think it is completely ridiculous that at this point they haven't kissed. <laughs> Edward's taken her home to meet his family. They even go to the top of a tree and that's as close as you can get to a cheesy kiss on top of the Ferris wheel. They've gone through so many hoops to get to where they are in the relationship. A whole revelation of vampirism and not a single kiss. It is so weird. And I, this isn't about me wanting to see kiss. It's just that it's surprising to me that they haven't. This odd sequence of events, I think, is what sets their relationship apart a little bit more because obviously their circumstances are a little bit different than a typical relationship. The fact that Edward wants to drink her blood <laughs> makes it hard, yeah. Obviously, he can't be really close to her without that temptation kicking in. That's a good point. Though I do think they could have emphasized that struggle a little bit more. Although if emphasizing his struggle... It's gonna look like no. that first reading scene that I don't want it. <laughs> Not to that extent. No, I get what you mean. After this, we actually see Edward in Bella's room. So they have a little kiss, or not-so-little kiss, <laughs> and... Edward loses control. Yeah, and he stops himself just in time. Yeah, to break away. I really, really, really like Edward's expression after he has to pull away from the kiss. He just looks so disappointed because he thought he could do this and it turned out he couldn't. All he wanted was to kiss his girlfriend and he couldn't even do that. And <laughs> I wish there were more of these genuine character moments. They feel so grounded. Even afterwards, they talk all night mm -hmm. and it's the sweetest thing we've seen so far. Really, very lovely. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the scene. I think it's because in these types of stories where things are pretty fantastical, I usually enjoy them because they still show moments of humanity and how at the end of the day, that's always what's propelling a story forward and motivating our characters. And I feel very starved of that when we're not given a lot of that in one of our main characters in Edward. We don't get a lot of human moments. We don't get to see the humanity in him. Or like we get to see it, but in very small glimpses. And it's not just that he's hiding from Bella. It's that the movie isn't letting us see the humanity in him. Yep, and I think that's what results in him coming off as a little stock character. Mm -hmm. It deprives us of any kind of connection with the character. And yeah, I agree with you. I think it would have made the movie a lot stronger if we had seen more of these universal human moments behind all of the supernatural stuff. Yeah. The next day, we have Edward meeting Charlie. Oh my god, this is my favorite scene. I've named the scene in my notes, Charlie's gun. <laughs> what happens is Charlie's cleaning out his gun, and right as Bella is about to bring Edward in, 
Charlie cocks his gun and he says, "All right, bring him in." <laughs> <laughs> and it's so fun, and this actor does such a good job of making Charlie dry enough, and how his attitude is softened by his clear care for his kid. Yes. I think this trope of the protective father could come off as a little bit overdone,、oh, yeah. but the nuance that the actor brings to the role and the fact that we've seen him be a really quietly caring father,、yeah. I think, lets them get away with it. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. You're completely right. Usually, it annoys me when what you see as a father being really disapproving of their daughter's partner for no reason at all, aside from the fact that their kid happens to be a woman or a girl,、yes. and it's. Dating a man, but this doesn't come off that way at all. It, it's a very nice scene. It's very loving. It's very caring. It's very funny. And I feel like it fits in with Charlie's character as well、yeah. because I feel like a part of it is his own social awkwardness, which he sees in、yeah. Bella. <laughs> and now he's like, oh god, now there's another person involved. <laughs> I get that feeling from him, and in the awkward silences that he has with Edward, <laughs> I feel like they're a good pair. <laughs> They are, but this leads to the baseball scene. It's nice to see Edward laughing and having fun with his brother in the baseball scene. He seems so carefree, and finally, you know, is free of the mask that he seems to have on twenty four seven so far. Yeah, it's the first time we've seen them all be a little bit more free, which is unfortunate because they don't get to enjoy this very much before they face the consequences for it. That being the three villainous vampires showing up. Yeah, they show up. And I do like the look of the villains. Actually, I, I love how they're styled. It's very distinct, but not too over the top for them. They somehow pull it off, and the styling doesn't look out of place at all. I really like the look of them. I have a theory. Okay. <laughs> One time we saw James; he was shirtless, and the other time Laurent was shirtless. I have a theory that they only have one shirt. <laughs> Because one is always shirtless when the other has something on. I think you're completely correct. Maybe they just don't have enough room after Victoria carries around that shawl, that giant shawl with her. Oh yeah, she has a whole wardrobe going on, so she takes up all the space in the suitcase. So what happens is James, one of the villains, notices that Bella is a human and. Wants to eat her, <laughs> so they're gonna try to sneak Bella away and lead James away from Bella. And there's this scene where Bella and Edward are getting in the car and they're gonna drive away. And Edward tries to buckle her in, and he's kind of losing it and can't buckle her in properly. And she has this outburst, and she's like, "I got it." And I think that says a lot about their dynamic in the relationship so far. Yes, he already has this whole "I need to protect her" thing, and now she's in direct danger. I do like that Bella doesn't put up with it. I know that it's just an in the moment thing, but you know, throughout this movie, we see. That Bella isn't the type to just let people treat her in a way that she doesn't agree with.、Mm-hmm. So I really like that. It kind of breaks away from the whole meek damsel in distress thing. Yeah. So yeah, we get this whole scene where Bella pretends to break up with Edward, and this is all a ruse to lure James away from her dad. But in the meantime, she says some really horrible things to her dad. Yeah, I really feel for Charlie. The way he watches her as she leaves is quite heartbreaking.、It's、so helpless. Yeah, I think the part that really got to me was when Bella says to Charlie, "I have to go home." 
And it all grows even more heartbreaking from then on, especially when he's all but begging her to stay. And in his perspective, right his wrong so far, he's saying, I know I'm not that much fun to be around, but I can change that. We can do more stuff together. He's trying so hard. He just didn't want to come off as overbearing because he wanted his kid to like him. And right now it's coming off like he made the wrong move, like he never should have allowed for that distance to settle between them. And the idea that he failed in building a relationship with Bella is just so painful and heartbreaking. And his line, I just got you back, is the most gutting to me. And it's it's a real conflict that's pretty true to life. And it's really grounded and emotionally driven. And it's my favorite thing about this movie. And the fact that makes it even more painful is that this is not just something he brings up in the moment when Bella tells him that she wants to leave. It's not like it occurs to him just then. Because we've had a previous scene where Charlie expresses his concerns that he feels like he leaves Bella alone too much. So it's something that he has been thinking about and so he immediately points the blame to himself. It's really well built. Throughout this movie, from the very beginning, he's always had this fear that he can't take care of Bella or he's not doing enough for Bella. And it's clear from the very beginning that he just, he really, really cares about her and he wants to build something with her. And apparently all of his fears are true. And he never did make a proper home for her because she still thinks of Phoenix's home. And it's all very sad. <laughs> it is. So Jasper and Alice take Bella to Phoenix and Bella gets this call from her mom and it seems like James has abducted her and he tells Bella to meet him at her old ballet studio. And I don't know what her plan was, but yeah, she goes by herself. Yeah, and she finds out that her mom isn't there after all, that it was actually just a recording. And, you know, I think James is a pretty good villain. I find him pretty repulsive. He starts recording. And I don't know, this whole sequence of events really sickened me in a good way, in a like they succeeded way. Yeah, and actually watching it again, I realized how graphic it is. <laughs> I actually had to look away a little because they really didn't shy away from the level of violence that someone like James would inflict on Bella. Yeah, definitely. There's this line where he says about Edward to Bella, he says he kept you his fragile little human. And there's some truth to that. It would have been an interesting layer to see Edward keeping her as part of him that's living and how he's experiencing happiness through her in the sense that he metaphorically sucks the life out of her <laughs> as the years go by and she's a human who becomes less and less lively because she's stuck in a frozen life with this undead. Ooh. It just painted such a picture in my mind, that one line. Well, I think you've caught on to something there because there is this whole thing where Edward wants Bella to go through all of the regular human rites of passage. Yeah. And it could be because he cares about her and wants her to live life as if she had never even met him. But also, I don't think it's entirely unlikely that he also just wants to live through her a little bit because he never got these experiences as he would have if he were human. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if they had prom back in the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I just mean like, you know, falling in love with someone, growing old with them, that kind of thing. Maybe not the prom. <laughs> I understand. But yeah, that would have been a really interesting way to go about it. And I think it would have illustrated the implications of this relationship a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Because of the genre and everything, I feel like it's painted as the perfect happily ever after. But we never really see any 
consequences of a human being with this undead creature. Yeah. So Edward is the one who gets there first, and I like that it's established that it's particularly fast in the baseball scene. Yes. It provides a great explanation as to why he's the only one who gets to the ballet studio at first, and I especially appreciate how much Bella is injured. <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> I hate when characters miraculously get away with only a scratch from these incredibly dangerous situations. But here she really gets hurt and there's real physical consequences. And of course, she gets bitten and it's, you know, excruciatingly painful. And the actress does a really good job of portraying that, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I totally agree with you. The violent nature of the scene really works and it almost reminds you that this is a vampire story. People are actually getting hurt. Bella, our main character, is actually getting hurt. And I really, really appreciate that. This could also be a good rationale for her suddenly wanting to be a vampire Mm. because she hasn't really expressed the sentiment earlier on. She's had this traumatic experience. Yeah, she's had this horrible life-threatening experience. She realizes how lethal they are and she doesn't want to be vulnerable anymore. And I feel like that would also be a very realistic response. That would have been great. That would have been a much better reason for her to want to be a vampire than simply, you know, I want to be with you forever. And I feel like it would have been harder for Edward to refuse as well. Yeah, that's a great point. But the rest of the Collins finally do get there and they kill James. But Bella is still slowly turning into a vampire because of this poison. And Edward has to suck the poison out of her. And I don't understand why Carlisle isn't the one to try to suck the venom out of Bella since it's been established that he's the one who has the most control over himself and Edward could easily be the one treating her leg while Carlisle handles the poison. Also when Edward doesn't stop when he should have, why doesn't Carlisle just push him off? Like it's (laughs) (laughs) he easily could have. Yeah. I guess it's an attempt to build the tension a little bit more. Well I mean the reason is because we need Edward to be the one to bite Bella. Yeah, that and also the fact that he's not stopping. We even get a voiceover by Bella where she's like death is peaceful and there's that slight moment where we're like hang on (laughs) but it would have made a ton of sense for carlisle to have been the one like you said yeah well bella ends up waking up in the hospital and her mom is there and she's been fed this fake story by edward and carlisle and even in the fake story they tell bella's mom edward and his dad come off as so creepy for chasing after this girl after some teenage squabble wouldn't sit right with me i would think that oh my god bella has a stalker or at least like bella has a boy who's way too obsessed with her in an unhealthy way and i would be very 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 worried about my child (laughs) (laughs) yeah bella's parents do seem to trust her a little bit too much because i guess they know she's responsible and so wouldn't go putting herself in dangerous situations i feel like that's what it is so they just let her do her thing but definitely at this point her parental instincts should kick in a little (laughs) (laughs) yeah There's also the part where Edward is trying to convince her to end their relationship and Bella is panicking and the part that really struck me was her saying, you can't say that to me ever about Edward leaving her and it's borderline unhealthy. At this point, the way they both treat each other is raising all kinds of red flags for me. Like They both treat this relationship and treat each other in a pretty unhealthy manner, if you ask me. Yeah, especially if you consider not a lot of time has passed. They only know each other maybe a few months at most and the fact that they're already (laughs) so invested in this relationship 
it is unhealthy. There is no other way to put it. But what ends up happening is she goes back to Forks and she ends up going to prom with Edward. She comes down the stairs and Charlie's there and Edward's there and it's our three favorites in one room. <laughs> and Edward says Bella looks perfect and Charlie shoots him this look <laughs> and it's so funny. But I also think after everything that's gone down, Charlie should have shut down the whole Bella and Edward thing immediately. It's clear neither of them can act rationally when it comes to the other. If I were Charlie, I would try to head off any potential disasters. Yeah, that and I also really wish that Bella and Charlie had had a scene together because after the harsh things she said, I feel like he deserves an extra scene oh my God, yeah. where they make up. Yeah, I never realized that they never really cleared that up. I mean, we get one line from her saying like, can you get dad? I need to apologize to him. And we're to assume that she does that, but we never see it. And I wish we had because it's a pretty big plot in the movie. Especially because I think they take so much care in portraying the father-daughter relationship. Yeah. But it just stumbles at the end where we don't get any closure. So it undermines everything that we've been through together with Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <sighs> Charlie deserves better. 2K08. <laughs> so, you know, they go to the prom. They have a little dance. And... And they basically have this conversation where... Bella tells him that she wishes Edward had just let her change into a vampire. And Edward says that he's not going to end her life. He wants her to grow old, do all the things that she's meant to. Yeah, this is an interesting scene to end on. I'd like to first say everything I'm about to say will end with the conclusion that I love this ending. Okay, I'm glad. <laughs> I absolutely adore it. However... <laughs> Bella wanting to be a vampire and to be with Edward for the rest of her life, her immortal life if she has a say in it, objectively comes off as rash and obsessive. Oh yeah. It comes off as incredibly short-sighted and juvenile. And I absolutely love Edward's line, the way he says, is it not enough to have a long and happy life with me? And I think it's really telling of his character. I feel like in this scene, it's really apparent that he's been alive a lot longer than she has. Yeah, I think she comes off as really, really childish in this all-consuming want because of how it's contrasted with Edward's almost calm response to it all. And the way he's thought everything through and he's not being pushy about it. He's just bringing up all of these good points. You know, take that line a little further and he's asking, am I not enough, right? Yeah. Even if I weren't the superhuman, would you still love me? Is it the man I am that you're in love with? Or is it the thrall of my kind? And the thing is, Bella's answer of for now is so sad and heartbreaking. It's not romantic or happy at all. It's so surprising to me that the movie ended on this tone. I legit, I was like, is, is this supposed to be a romantic happy ending? Because I don't read it that way. <laughs> and I don't think they were trying to make it that way. If you already read the book, if you already know what the scene is supposed to mean, you're going to read it your way. But I don't have any background on the book or what the scene is supposed to be about. So I was just taking it at face value. And this is what I took from it. And I wasn't trying to like twist it into what it wasn't. So it was just a really somber ending. And I know that the narrative wants us to believe that love is real and something to aspire to. But the ending frames it rather differently, I think. And 
Bella isn't quite listening to Edward. It's clear that he's trying to tell her about something important and meaningful to him, but Bella isn't hearing him at all. They're not on the same page at all. She just keeps repeating the same thing over and over again. We get it, Bella. You don't think these points are valid, but the thing is, you have to care that your partner cares about that, even though you disagree. In a way, I understand it's also her choice if she wants to become a vampire, but you're right. I think he's trying to get her to understand the implications of what she's asking, but she's not quite willing to look past her... Her own obsession. <laughs> her obsession, yeah. The fact that she just wants to be with him forever. Whatever the reason is, whatever is weighing him down, she should be listening to that. Yeah, she's not taking him seriously. It cements them as a pretty unhealthy partnership. They can't seem to communicate. They can't seem to listen to each other. And, you know, all this time I've been saying how Bella doesn't have any reason to want to be with Edward. Edward's so boring. But at this point in the relationship, I'm like, Edward, get the hell out of there. <laughs> Edward's the real one in distress. <laughs> yeah, and actually, this is where my conclusion lands. So I quite like the ending, to be honest, either in the sense that they're both trapped in a relationship where the other person doesn't quite see the side of you that you want them to see, or even in the sense that at the end of it all, Edward's the one who's actually the prey to Bella's obsession. And that's how I read that scene. And this is how you should watch every movie, right? It's not about the perceptions people have about the movie. It's not any preconceived notions. So just like watching this movie and taking it at face value, it's really interesting how the idea that Bella, this regular girl who encounters a dangerous vampire bad boy kind of character succumbs to, you know, his seduction or his world. But it's all kind of twisted by her obsession and it becomes that the vampires are under Bella's thumb, kind of. And it's a full circle moment with the opening scene where it seems like now Bella is the predator and Edward is kind of backed to a corner. But yeah, I really like this ending. I think it ends on a really realistic, somber note and it really cements how this was, you know, all along a twisted story <laughs> of these two you know, grappling with the power they have over each other. That's a really interesting take. <laughs> and this play with the power dynamic is much more interesting when you give Bella more credit mm -hmm. because obviously she does have this hold over Edward and that does make for an interesting subversion in the power dynamic that we would expect between a human and a supernatural creature. And actually, the more I hear about your theory <laughs> that this movie was trying to do something and subvert the typical forbidden love story, the more convinced I am. There's so many hints of it. Even that one shot where she's, you know, that tree shot where like she's surging up towards Edward. That and this ending. Just really, I, I truly believe it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not entirely unconvinced by it. And the only thing I would say is what you said about Edward becoming the prey to Bella's obsession. I feel like in a way they're both prey. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. It's an equal obsession on both parts. I totally agree. They're both prey to this relationship, right? To this obsession. Well, that's... Pretty sad movie. <laughs> yeah. This is so interesting because we're watching a twisted relationship that shouldn't be happening. And if they had done that better... Obviously, they couldn't because that's not what the book was about. But they had done that better that I would have absolutely loved this. I feel like the film grapples a little bit with the source material. That's why it fluctuates throughout. 
The actual ending of this film is we see Victoria watching Edward and Bella from a distance, oh, right? right? And that sets us up for the next film and totally breaks this quiet, somber moment. For sure. So our final segment here is absurd conclusions. And I think it's clear that our whole discussion was pretty absurd. We we came to some really absurd conclusions <laughs> there. <laughs> this whole episode was the whole segment. Yeah. But I think one of my favorite absurd conclusions that we came to is that Edward is a master of disguise. Oh, yeah. Our second absurd conclusion is... The villain vampires obviously just have one shirt between them that they take turns wearing. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. The third absurd conclusion is that they're actually pretty subtle with this, but Bella and Edward are actually biology geniuses and they have one genius teacher who teaches all of the classes. <laughs> Well, that's all for Absurd Conclusions. What are your overall thoughts now that we finished this movie and kind of discussed it at length? Have your opinions changed? Do you like this movie? <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest, mm -hmm. it just doesn't hold the same charm for me as it once did. The parts that I found romantic as a teenager are parts now that I find myself kind of cringing at a little bit. But I think, especially after our discussion, I am seeing renewed merit in it. And that might be because of our readings of some of the <laughs> parts of the movie. But I, I think I found new parts of it that I like. What about you? I don't think I like this movie because the characters didn't draw me in. I didn't fall in love with any of them except for Charlie. <laughs> I didn't care about what happened to them. I wasn't rooting for Bella to get together with Edward. You know, my reading of it is very different and it's about this unhealthy relationship. And if it was about that, I would have really loved it, especially through the lens of a teenager's relationship. It would have been very interesting and it would have made so much sense that they are so awkward. <laughs> I don't hate it either, though. I don't think it's bad enough for ridicule. I think people who make this movie the butt of their jokes, it's a cheap shot. I don't think it warrants active loathing. But it takes itself so seriously. The movie is very lukewarm. And that's why I'm feeling very lukewarm. I don't like it and I don't hate it. And you know what? It doesn't have to stay buried. We can let it hang out in the graveyard, but it does not <laughs> deserve more hype either. That's a fair conclusion. So Hini, would you now that you have a fresh take on this movie, would you recommend this movie? To be completely honest, I think I wouldn't recommend this movie. I think the parts that... I've found that I can appreciate are because I have an attachment to the series that I liked as a teenager. So if you have that background with the books, give it a new try. But in general, I wouldn't say it's a great way to spend your time. Yeah, I don't think I would recommend this movie either. You know, it just wasn't interesting enough. The merits we found were pretty dependent on our own interpretations, I would say, yes. and our background with this franchise. So that's a no for me. <laughs> well, this has been a pretty fun episode. Unfortunately, we didn't end up loving this movie. But you know, it was totally worthwhile trying to figure out what to take from this movie and approach it in a new way. For sure. All right, so next time we'll be discussing a Cinderella story. If you have any thoughts to share on the movie, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com so we can share on the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. <laughs>